welcome. Hey, could you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? I just got a couple minutes uh, to share, and um, I, I really want to dig into something that I think is incredibly important. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, so I have to make sure that I stay on time because I can talk about it forever. Uh, but if you are new with us, we are in a series uh, called At the Table. We, we believe it's just incredibly important for us to be getting around the table with people. Uh, we've become a culture where uh, we usually pull into our house, close the garage, lock the door, and we're in for the night. And if we are going to hang out with people, we're going to go somewhere else because our house is a mess and we don't want people to think that we uh, don't clean up every day of our lives. Um, some of you do, but most of you do not. And one of the greatest things that came out of our table talk we did a couple weeks back was that just let people in your house even if it ain't clean. Um, one of the key concepts with getting around the table is this uh, debunking of the idea that hospitality is about one person, one person setting the table, cooking the food, doing it all, making sure that everybody feels welcome. Hospitality is about everybody being a guest and everybody being a host. That the house is a place where the family comes together, where the body of Christ joins together and does what they're called to do, and that everybody washes the dishes and everybody sets the table and everybody belongs. Amen. And we want our dinner parties to feel that way. And so really the hope of this series is that strangers would become neighbors and neighbors would become family. Strangers would become neighbors and neighbors would become family. And I know, and I've heard this lately, that in the last couple weeks of dinner parties, we've only had them for a couple weeks, uh, last couple weeks of dinner parties, we've already seen neighbors coming over and joining in. And that's what we want. We believe that if we rely solely and completely on Sunday morning service to reach a city, we will fail. We just, we just don't even think there's any way around that. Uh, we're desperate for God to move on Sunday mornings, and I believe by the end of this year, th this place could be filled if we really get passionate about seeing people, uh, seeing Jesus in every street and every heart, and seeing that happen in our church, and I could see dinner parties launching all over the place, um, but really what we also know is that, that there will be some people who will never make it into this service on a Sunday um, who need to make it on, uh, to, to your table on a Wednesday, and so I really want to encourage you, challenge you uh, to jump in. Uh, but I want to, Acts chapter 2, I want to read one of my favorite verses. I'm going to read it in two translations because I, I want to reference a couple different things. But Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And I'm going to, I know we didn't put all these verses on there, so just 46 and 47 are on there. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, background. Uh, Jesus has died. He's resurrected. In chapter 1, he comes back to the disciples, says, don't leave until I've sent the Holy Spirit, until the Father sends the Holy Spirit, the one I promised you. In Acts 2, at the very beginning of Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit fall, the day of Pentecost. Uh, all the Jews were already in the city because it was already a holiday, and the disciples start uh, doing some crazy supernatural stuff. It's hard to find anyone in the Bible who did anything of significance that was a stranger to the supernatural. And so why God would all of a sudden take that from us? Uh, well, he didn't. And that's still very much a part of the body of Christ is the supernatural things he can do that are outside of our own understanding. And, and so that's what happens. All of a sudden, these guys are doing things they'd never done before, and people are being reached, and people are being saved. And then uh, at the end, as the church be, starts to begin to be the church, as the church starts coming together, they'd never seen it like this. Um, and all of a sudden, God had made a way, and the threshold had changed, and people who could come in uh, who'd never been able to be in uh, before and in verse 42, and, and they'll just have to run it when it gets to 46, but verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. If we just did that really, really well, if we just did that as a church really, really well, um, we would change a city. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Everything they had. 
everything they had. I just want to emphasize that. I have to say that to my sons all the time, but I feel like a statement like that has to be said to adults too. It's a challenge. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together. This is verse 46. They worshiped together. Everybody say together. They worshiped together. I know in a world where we have Spotify and iTunes and we have all this stuff and we have great music like Hillsong and Bethel and all these other churches that are putting out great music, we can get really good at worshiping alone. And we can begin to think that that is the totality of our relationship with Christ. But the Bible never really gives us a picture of solitary faith. It never really gives us a picture of individual faith. It always gives us a picture of people connected to each other. And that is why, just like we talked about last week, this is not a, a battle of flesh and blood. It's a battle against principalities and powers of the air. Why? Because, because the reason the distinction is made is because we can make it about flesh and blood when we get upset with that person or offended by that person and disgruntled with this. And, eh, yeah, yeah. and why is it that that's always at the core of why we separate from one another? Because we prioritize flesh and blood rather than prioritizing the spiritual things that are trying to either encourage us in the ways of God or trying to pull us away from fellowship and faith. And so it's important for us to understand that we worship together. You can worship alone. Some of you are like, okay, do you get, are you doing that old like burn your CDs kind of thing that preachers used to do? Um, or what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say you can worship on your way to church, but make sure you're on your way to church every once in a while. Get together with some people. Worship together. Because your, your cruddy, I almost said crappy. Oh, I just said it. Voice. It, it, it's, hey, listen. Some of you can't sing. That's Okay. Some of you got no rhythm. You clap off beat. That's okay. Some of you should never, ever, ever come up here on Zach's drum and bang on them. Don't do that. But that's okay. That's kind of the point. That we worship together in our imperfections. That we worship together in our brokenness, in our misunderstandings, in our hurts, in our pains, in our curiosities, in our questions, in our doubts. That we are still worshiping together. And sometimes we prioritize our worship alone so much that we start to diminish what worshiping together is. And so we can walk into a place and we can go, well, I don't like that person or I don't like that person. So I don't have to be here because I can go worship in my car. No, that's not really how God wants it. God's designed it that we would worship together so that we would have to face the fact that we don't always get along with everybody. And yet we still love everybody. And so we worship together. Now, here's what it says. They worship together. Right? At the temple, each day. Some of you are like, Sundays are tough, man. It's like once a week. Gosh. Every day, they would show up at the temple. And then, meet in homes for the Lord's Supper. And shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So they went from the temple to the table. And this was a daily discipline. This was something they did on a daily basis. The discipline of being together as a large group in the temple was just as important to being together as a small group around the table. Those two things work together because there is something that shifts when you stand here, sit here, and watch someone share with you and you receive something. That's fantastic. But there is something else that happens when you get around the table, look each other in the eyes, and you have to then share what God's doing in your life. There's a transparency and authenticity that happens in those moments. And I would, I would venture to say that discipleship and community happen there much more than they even happen here. That this really every Sunday should be a to be continued. That every Sunday we should walk out of here with an expectation about what God's going to do Wednesday night when we get around the table. 
that, that somehow God's going to carry this over, that there's going to be an overflow, that we'll get filled up in this moment, not the, not the only moment, but we will get filled up in this moment, and then we will overflow in the week. And that's the, kind of, that's the heart of God towards his people, that we'd be filled up to overflowing. And so they gathered around the table, and I love the way it's described, with great joy and generosity. All the while, everybody say all the while. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, not just the people who liked your ravioli. I don't know what ravioli made it in last week, too. We don't even eat ravioli. What is that about? I'm not craving it or anything, I promise. I just, it, the goodwill of all the people, all the people, all the, not even just the people who showed up at your house, all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now let me read this in the message translation. If you guys could put up the next translation of that. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple followed by meals at home. Every meal. Everybody say every meal. Some of you said it like that. Every meal. Every meal of celebration, exuberant, and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. And every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? I want, I just, I want you to hear these two verses. They're so critical. They're so paramount as believers and as the church to understand what it looks like to do community well, to do family well, to, 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 be light, to do life together, to grow together, to walk as people uh, growing in relationship. I would say it like this. If the table is insignificant in your life, then your relationships will be insufficient for your life. If the table is insignificant in your life, if you can't get around the table and talk about uh, everything that's going on in your life, and more than just the fact that the Cowboys won or lost, or more than just the fact that you had a good or bad week, but in also that relationship, talking about your struggles and your difficulties and, and the things that you're working through and, and switching on faith for people, how many of you know you need a fellowship of faith? A fellowship of faith. That's what we're called to be. So that when you don't have faith for the future, I can have it for you. That's what we're called to be. So we get around the table so that you can complain about your stuff, but I won't let you stay there. That's why you have to get around the table. Because otherwise you can avoid all of those things. You can avoid those conversations. Because you can sit here and listen to me and then walk out of here and, and forget the things you don't want to hear about. Because you know you're not going to sit at the table with someone who's going to bring them back up. But if you get around the table with somebody and they look at you and they go, hey, I, I hear what you're saying. But I believe God's going to redeem it. Hey, I hear what you're saying, but I believe God's got more for you. Hey, I believe, I know what you're saying, and I'm with you. I know it's challenging. I know it's difficult, but God is greater. There's no name higher. Amen? That, that we switch on faith for each other. That we'd be a people where the table begins to be paramount in our lives. And I love that it says that we had meals at home. It's almost as though he's uh, not letting you off the hook with restaurants. I don't have a problem with restaurants. I think that's fine. I don't think it's a bad thing to meet with people at a restaurant. Many of you should take somebody else to lunch today after church at a restaurant. But one of the things I remember Stephen Linda sharing with me about uh, living in Australia for eight years, one of the very first things that happened to them when they attended a C3 church is that someone had them over to their house. And, and it's one thing to invite someone to someone else's table. It's a whole other thing to invite someone to your table. And on the way home, you're wondering, did I clean it? Like, what's on it? How quickly can I get out of my car, run in, clean it off, and not look rude for not walking them into my house? Don't, don't even look at me like, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and, and there's something about welcoming people into your home where we are all guests and we are all hosts. 
And we can all be people who love on each other. And we can all play a part in what God wants to do. Because it is, and I love that it also says house to house, as though every house is involved. There's no one that's off the hook. There are no, like, there are no spectators in the body of Christ. We are all participants. Every one of us is participating in what God wants to do in and through our church. And every meal, a celebration, joyful, exuberant. I wonder if that's your every meal. And I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, Luke's really kind of fudging the numbers on this one. But, but every meal, now it's a far cry from the, what it would have been had this happened uh, just several months prior. Uh, Jesus had died. Uh, everything was over. Everything was done. And then it shows that Jesus came back and appeared to 500 of them and appeared to the disciples and appeared to many more. And, and so Jesus shows up and, and all of a sudden their life is like, oh, wow, this is incredible. Okay, yeah, he's back. But they still didn't really know what to do. Jesus says, stay there, wait till the Holy Spirit shows up. So here's a group of people that walked with Jesus for a season, walked with Jesus for several years, some of them, and then Jesus dies on a cross, crucified, the most humiliating and excruciating of deaths. And everything was over. Everything was finished. Everything was done. Everything they'd worked for. Everything they'd walked with. Every single thing. It was done. And then Jesus rises from the dead. Quite a cool thing. And now they're sitting around the table. And I can just imagine a people who had seen everything end and then seen everything begin again. Almost as though when I, if you sit around the table understanding the grace and the good news that Jesus died and rose again, that he is alive again, that he brings new life into your world. If you, if you have that revelation, I could just imagine sitting around being joyful, exuberant, and celebrating as well. See, I think we, we, we stop being joyful when we stop remembering what God has done. We, we, we stop with the exuberance when we, we forget that God has set us free the same way he set other people free, that he has grace for me the same way he has grace for them. We, we stop being joyful when we make the cross and the resurrection something smaller than it really is. It is everything for us as believers. It is everything. These people were not necessarily being accepted by everybody. Some of them were still being persecuted. This was not necessarily like, oh, everything's good. Everybody in the city loves us. This was still a movement that was just beginning. It was just starting. People were looking at them like they're crazy. And yet, here's this thing happening. God's working in this church and working in these people, and yet they're joyful and exuberant and celebratory. I wonder about your table. Is it joyful and exuberant and celebratory? And if it isn't, why? I know things of life. I get it. I've had the table talks where it just is not good. Tears flowing, frustrations, difficulties, challenges. I get all of those things. Kids aren't acting right. Food's throwing, throwing everywhere. And so you finally get Meredith to stop throwing food, and you get your boys to stop throwing. And, 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 and all this, you get all those things happening. I get it. I understand life gets difficult. But shouldn't it always stay joyful as well? Or are we allowing the circumstances of our life to determine what the table feels like and looks like in our world? Are we allowing the things we're coming up against to determine for us because it's never over with Jesus? And in different translations, you'd get this. It says that they were glad and generous, thankful and generous. And this relates to what we just said, that a table filled with gratitude will overflow with generosity. A life filled with gratitude will overflow with generosity. A life filled with gratitude will overflow with generosity. A table filled with gratitude. You get around the table and everybody's thanking somebody for something, that's a much more enjoyable table to be at. Being thankful, having gratitude, somehow releases us into a new level of generosity with our words, 
with our speech about people. All of a sudden, we can be generous with our words towards people, even if they haven't done anything for us. I love walking up to people and going, man, you did awesome today. And they're like, I, don't need, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just speaking in faith. I, lo- I love surprising people with encouragement. I love surprising people, even if they don't fully believe I'm being genuine. I am, I promise. I just love that you're here this morning. I just love that you're making a commitment to the table. I love that you're part of getting together as a family. And then the the kicker comes in, because while you can say glad and generous and joyful and exuberant and celebratory, and you can say all those words, and that sounds great, and for some of us, that is what our table is. It is joyful, and it's celebration, and it's exuberant, and it's single-hearted. We are together in this, and all those things, and then the kicker comes in in the next verse, and so it's care- it's, you got to be careful with those. You, you know, when a verse carries into the next one where it goes from 46 to 47, sometimes we can just read one of them. We don't do that, right, in the church? We don't just cherry pick certain verses, right? That never happens. You ever read a verse that you thought was really good until you read the one that was after it? And you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> Try being a preacher and doing that accidentally every once in a while. You know? Sometimes we could see the number and separate them, but really what it says is that they were all together, worshiping together, eating together. They were celebrating. They were joyful. They were exuberant. All the while praising God. I wonder about if if that's what we are. Maybe we can be celebrating. We can be joyful. But are we all the while praising God? Are we all the while praising who he is, lifting him up, making him the priority in our life, allowing him to be something special for us. I don't know, maybe you've had the all the while moments where, especially if you're a parent, you've got children, you you can be eating or you can be caught up in whatever you're caught up in and you can forget that your child or maybe you didn't see that your child all the while has been feeding the dog or all the while has been throwing food on the floor, and you look up and you think they've eaten everything, and it's not until you're cleaning the table that you walk around the table and you find out that there is food on the floor. No one has eaten anything. It is just on the floor waiting for the dog to find it. And in our house, our dog is really good. It never hits the floor. Never hits the floor. She's deaf and can't run, but she can grab food out of the air. It's amazing. (laughs) But all the while, I wonder what happens at your table. All the while, what happens at your table? When you get together with people, what do you talk about? What do you speak? What do you share? What do you celebrate? Are you praising God? Do people leave your table and my table praising God? Do they leave more grateful? Do they, do they leave more celebratory? Do they leave with more joy in their hearts? Do they leave with a heart full of celebration? Do they leave exuberant? Do they leave humble? And do they leave with an awestruck wonder of who God is? Have they praised God at your table? I think the church is really good about getting people around the table and being like joyful, but what we really want them to do is walk to our table, hear the stories of what God is doing in and through every single one of us in spite of ourselves and be able to walk out the door praising God. That's what our desire is. That's our our heart. Because if we don't praise God, here's what happens. We'll condemn men. If we're not busy praising God, we will find it really easy to fault people. We will spend all of our time talking about even our own faults or somebody else's faults. or somebody, and Because if we don't elevate God, we will, we will find something else to talk about. And for many of us, the challenge is, do I keep his praises on my lips? And it's not, again, it's not always just because God wants to make sure that you are praising him all the time. It's so that you won't be, uh, 
you won't be stepping on other people or dishonoring other people. Or do they leave with a praising God attitude? What does your all the while look like? While you're smiling, while you're laughing, all the while, what? Because then the next statement, and this is the one that I would want to end on, says all the while praising God. And maybe some of us don't think that these two things can go exist. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that we, we can't praise God and enjoy the next thing that happens here. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. The message translation says that everyone found it good, most of the people. I love it. Like most of them saw it as good, which, which means that some people may not like your food and they may not like your conversation. But if you are joyful and celebratory and praising God, you will find that most people in general like what you're doing. Because praise and honor and grace towards people and glory of God is one thing that people don't hear a lot of these days. We're really good at tearing people down, aren't we? We built it into our culture that, that we would make sure we bring people down. Rather than lifting everybody up so we all go to a new level, we like to tear people down so we can all stay where we are. And the Bible says that, that man, as, as we praised God, as we lifted up the praises of who he was, all of a sudden they enjoyed the goodwill of all people. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that your desire? It's my desire that people would enjoy the goodwill, that, that, that this church would enjoy goodwill of all the people. That we would see people come into our homes, come into our rows, come into our church services, come into our gatherings, and they would hear of people who are not all about themselves, who are not caught up in their own good news, caught up in their own thing, celebrating their own stuff. And, and I'm not saying you can't be happy about what God's doing in your life, but, but that, that they would understand that, that they see a people that are submitted and honoring of God, and they go, wow, these people live for something bigger and greater. I, we just went and uh, had a funeral for my grandmother. Uh, Monday, we did one in Tyler because she lived there for the last 15 years. And then Thursday, uh, we were in um, San Francisco, Santa Rosa, uh, because she lived there for most of her life. And, uh, and the story after story after story after story of people who came into contact with my grandmother would tell you that she would just sit back and watch as her family, because we're a loud family. I realize now that that's from both sides. We're just loud. We just, we just have a good time. It is always celebration. It is always joyful. And here's what I would tell you now, especially after hearing the stories I heard of my grandmother this past week, um, that really, it really was all the while praising God. Because my grandmother would never let us. She just wouldn't. She'd stand back and she'd watch everybody enjoying stuff. But when Grandma and Grandpa Ken spoke up, something shifted in the room. And she would always keep things focused on Jesus. She would always make sure that we understood that this gift that we have of family and this grace that we have for family is something given by God. And so nothing shook her. She lost two husbands. And then at 78 years old, decided she should become a missionary and moved to Texas from California, y'all. And for 14 years, served people and loved people because she just was always grateful. And so she overflowed with generosity. And I want our tables to feel that way. Because if we don't praise God, we will continue to diminish men. We will always think it is our job to elevate ourselves. But if we can praise God, it brings a, a level of humility to our lives that allows us to love people well and to, to bless people and to encourage people and to walk them into new life. And then the very last thing, the very last thing it says, and then we're going to pray. And each day, every day, the Lord added to their fellowship and you love that? Not just to their church, not just to the temple, not just to Sunday services, but every day God added to their fellowship. Every day people were showing up 
And I, I just have a, a thought here that it wasn't because the temple was awesome. It's because every meal was awesome. Every meal had life. Every meal had joy. Every meal had praising God. And so every day God was adding to, people, uh, adding to the church. Every day God was adding to the fellowship. If every meal can move to a place where we're praising God and we're celebrating and we're joyful and we're thankful and we're exuberant and we're celebrating what God's doing in us, even in spite of us, even in spite of our circumstances, if we can move to the place where every meal, even when it could be one meal every once in a while where we complain or we get frustrated, no, 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 every meal we're celebrating one another and we're celebrating God and we're praising God that we will begin to add people to the fellowship. If every meal can be one centered around the good news of Jesus. And I'm not saying that every time you sit down, you gotta go, hey, have you heard about Jesus before? No, but let your speech, let your life, let who you are be a thankful life. Let it be a generous life. Let it be a life that knows that everything's not over yet, that everything's not done yet. Please do not let someone sit at your table and talk about how life is over and you say nothing of faith and nothing of hope and nothing of future. Because the God I serve and the Jesus that gave his life for me would tell me, no, it's not over yet. It's not done yet. And if people sit at your table, they should know that I can do something in the midst of your trouble. I can do something in the midst of your hurt. I can do something in the midst of your failure. I can do something with all of that. And I don't care what's happened to you or what's been done to you. We should keep this level of faith in our lives that says at the table and in the rows and everywhere in between. People are going to be added every day. Because every meal with us has got some joy in it. Every meal with us, even with the pain, has got some celebration. I was at the wedding of my brother and sister-in-law. Stage four cancer. Stopped treatments. A month earlier, they'd found out she was, nothing's working. 30 days later, we're in Nashville having a wedding. My brother's getting married. Not the way expected, not the way it was supposed to be, not how we want it. Still praying that God does something miraculous, amen? But I watched him get out on the dance floor with her three boys, who are now my brother's three boys. And they danced, and they celebrated, and there was hope and there was joy, and there was exuberance, and I want that to be the bride of Christ, that in spite of every pain, and in spite of every sickness, and in spite of every situation, and in spite of every offense, and in spite of every difficulty, and in spite of every discouragement, and in spite of every single thing that would be coming our way, we could still get out and, and bust a move. That we could still get out there and smile. That we can still get out there and celebrate that nothing makes our table depressed or discouraged because I do not live according to what the world says. I live based upon the fact that Jesus died, he rose again, and that is the good news of Jesus. So my lips will be filled with praise. My thoughts will be honoring towards God and towards others because there is nothing, 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 nothing that I can do or anyone else can do that makes the cross less that makes the resurrection less, that makes anything he's done less than what he's done. The grace for them is just as much as the grace for you. So let our tables be filled with laughter and joy and celebration because we know that death has no sting, that eternity is still waiting, and that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That I can walk in Jesus Christ and know that he is for me. Who can be against me? So open up your table. Have some people over. And when you want to say that thing, don't. Praise God. 
When you want to get discouraged about the thing, don't. Praise God. When you feel like everything's bad, so you need to tell somebody about it, don't. Praise God. When everything's going bad, praise God. When it's good, praise God. Let people see that no matter what comes your way, you've got a God who's greater, bigger, and will stay there no matter what. Let's be people who keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The moment we take our eyes off him, fear sets in. And then we begin to be insecure. And then we begin to talk poorly. And then we begin to not allow ourselves to be available. See, when we praise God, we make ourselves available to others. When my identity is not wrapped up in what people think about me, I'm more willing to share with them who I am, all my faults, all my good things, all that stuff. But when I take my eyes off of him, I take, I step back, I shrink in, and I don't want to talk about myself. I'm just going to talk about others because it's, I, don't, I don't know who's going to identify me as this or that. God's grace towards you and I is sufficient. Would you stand with me this morning? All the while at the table, all the while at the table, praising God.